very first episode of this new podcast series called EU Watchdog Radio. It's hosted by two Brussels-based NGOs, Counterbalance and Corporate Europe Observatory. My name is Hans van Scharen, I'm media officer at CEO, and my very first guest is Xavier Sol of Counterbalance. Welcome, Xavier. Here we are, um, post-Brexit episode of the European Union, and we are both non-English speakers and we're speaking in English. But this aside... Um, first of all, could you explain to us um, what is Counterbalance uh, uh, doing in, in real life? So, um, I mean, first of all, we are a coalition of nine NGOs that are active all around Europe. These are uh, associations working on environment, development and financial issues. And basically, they decided at the end of the 2000s to set up a campaign to work on the European Union public finance. And as Counterbalance, we were created as a campaign on the European Investment Bank, so a large public bank in Europe, to push for a reform of that bank. Um, and that was yeah, at the end of the 2000s. So since more than a decade, we are here based in Brussels with a small secretariat trying to move things on the public finance side. Right, so you are a bit like the spider in the web of a sort of European network of, of, of organizations that want to improve uh, European finance. Now, yes. you just meant, said it, the, the main focus of Counterbalance is the European Investment Bank. Yes. I'm sure that a lot of listeners outside of the European bubble have never even heard about the EIB, as it's called, uh, um, in short, um, can you explain what is the EIB for a, for a creature? It's normal that most of European citizens haven't heard about it because it's not a very famous institution. I mean, some people know about the World Bank, for example, but not so much about the European Investment Bank, this so-called EIB. Still, um, the reason why we focus on it is that it's the largest multilateral public bank in the world. Actually, in terms of the volumes of the operations, it's bigger than the World Bank. Um, and actually, what's interesting with this bank is that it's owned by the member states or the governments of the European Union. So it's an EU institution. Still, okay. it's a bank. So it's different from the European Commission or European Parliament. But it's really the financial arm of the European Union. Um, and we take this institution as an important one to steer some change in terms of how public finance can be mobilized um, in Europe and outside of Europe. And just to say that our mission is really to make so the public finance a driver of a transition towards more equitable, sustainable societies. And we think there is really a role to, to, for civil society to you know, hold public banks to account mm -hmm. because if they are, you know, more transparent, more democratic, these institutions really have a huge potential to you know, benefit European citizens and territories. So this is why we, we focus on, on this bank. 
Right. And the last aspect uh, on transparency uh, and accountability, we will um, we will talk about that a bit later because you recently issued a report on how is the EIB really tackling uh, fraud and corruption when it when it's lending money. So that's for later. But you said it's 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 one of the biggest in, or the biggest uh, investment bank in the world. That's quite amazing. I read in, in one of your last brochures that in 2018 the EIB group invested a total of uh, 64.2 billion euros in a wide variety of projects. Could you just quickly explain what kind of projects is the EIB investing in and yes. on, on what terms? Is it really like any commercial bank uh, lending money for specific projects or how does that work and what kind of projects? Um, traditionally what the EIB does is to finance large infrastructure projects. Infrastructure, okay. It's not the only thing they do, but that's where it comes from. It was set up basically by the six first countries that created the, what is now the European Union. Mm -hmm. And it was really to finance, you know, trans transport projects, energy projects in Italy, for example, in France, in, in, in Germany. Since then, it has changed a bit, that it's also doing a lot of support to other commercial banks. Uh, by giving credit lines, for example. So now it's active in a wide variety of sectors. It has become really a member of the monde de finance uh, um, because you say they are giving credits to commercial banks. Why, yes. why would they do that? That's because they are being asked to finance small and medium enterprises. Right, SMEs. SMEs, in the jargon. yes. Mm -hmm. And if um, a bank like the EIB wants to go for these small companies, they cannot give an individual loan, it would be too small. So they go through commercial banks, they provide them with a credit line for that commercial bank, let's say Deutsche Bank, Societe Generale or who else, so that that bank can give preferential terms for these small and medium enterprises. Right. So now, of course, infrastructure projects are still, let's say, around 50% of what the bank does. But then you have this remaining part, which is of a different nature let's say. Right. So um, this is quite, I mean, important because as we, uh, pro most people probably know is that in Europe, most of the uh, jobs are created by SMEs. I think it's over 80% of all jobs in Europe are actually not created by big companies, but, but rather small companies. So that's a good thing that the EIB is, is, is providing these credit lines to banks. On the principle, it makes a lot of sense. As you said, um, the problem we see with this uh, fact that you have these intermediated operations, so going through financial intermediaries before reaching out to the SMEs, is that you lose a lot of transparency on the way. Right. Because you don't know really how the commercial banks are using this public money coming from the European Union. So there is really a transparency issue and how you make sure that, you know, the money goes in the right pockets at the end, that's the second biggest challenge. I think it's one of the biggest challenges of the European Union as a whole. Uh, we have recently seen some fraud issues with uh, uh, agricultural subsidies going to uh, organized crime in Italy, going to oligarchs in Eastern Europe, etc. But that's another whole other issue. Before we go again into the transparency, I would really like to go into the uh, the, uh, the buzzword of, of the day in the European bubble, which is the Green Deal and the climate policy, which the new European Commission has declared mm -hmm. as... Um, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the, 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 the president of the, the European Commission, said it's our trip to the moon project. 
It's very uh, well found. Eh? President Kennedy once declared a uh, long time ago, this is uh, uh, very important. Um, so um, you, you as current counterbalance, uh, very recently, I think it's uh, a week old, issued a very nice uh, reading short brochure, uh, which is called European Investment Bank's New Energy Policy, Stepping Closer to a Fossil-Free Public Finance. So I would every I guess it's on your website counter-balance.org. Um, I, I would invite everyone to read this because it's short and very um, very clear. Now, in November last year, uh, a bit ahead even of Ursula von der Leyen's speech, the EIB announced um, a, a very important um, new yeah energy um, uh, policy um, and. A, an energy lending policy, I must yes. say. That's the official term. And uh, basically, uh, the EIB, as you write, is trying to frame itself into the uh, EU climate bank. That's quite something. Um, so, um, could you could you explain a bit on on what are the yeah. uh, what are the what is the purpose of this all? And 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 then we will try to find out if it's more than just window dressing or greenwashing. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, for us as NGOs that have been pushing this bank, the EIB, but over financial institutions, you know, to uh, pay more serious attention to climate issues, this is really a game changer what happens with the European Investment Bank. I think on that, the demands were really clear from our side. It was, okay, no public money anymore going for fossil fuels. Right. That was a primary demand. And this is connected to the Paris Agreement, exactly. which we all uh, subscribed to, uh, all, I mean, all member states. And I think the overarching demand to these financial institutions is to say public money, unfortunately, is limited. You need to make the best use out of it. So you cannot be the ones still subsidizing the polluters. You need to invest in projects which are aligned with the Paris Agreement on climate. Right. Which means, for example, in the energy sector, energy efficiency, renewable energy project, instead of still subsidizing, you know, fossil fuels, especially the gas sector for the IP. Right. We will come because in your brochure, you basically have uh, the good, the bad. And then I was expecting the ugly, but the ugly is not in the brochure. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's let's stick first now with the positive. News, yes, the good. So you um, you write that the, the, the one of the aims of uh, the EIB is to trigger a one trillion uh, euros of investments in climate action and environmental sustainability between 2021 and 2030. This is a very crucial decennia decennium I must say to 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 reach uh, certain climate targets right for for Europe. Um, one trillion that is thousand billion euros in 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 a bit less than a decade. That's enormous. Uh, this is all the money that would be mobilized by the EIB. It doesn't mean this is, this is 1 trillion euros of investments from the EIB. Right. Still, I mean, it's an important volume. And I think what, we, what the bank um, announced at the end of 2019 is important. I think you have, there are four main commitments. The first one, they say, we will align all of our operations with the Paris Agreement on climate. So all we need, all we will do as the EIB will be aligned. The second one is what you mentioned, more the volume of the, of the loans. Okay, we shoot for 1 trillion euros by 2030. Then the third one was at least 50% of what we will do will be for climate and environmental sustainability. 
But then the remaining 50%, even if they are not purely, let's say, climate projects, they still need to do good and be on a trajectory to Paris alignment. So these are very important commitments. And I think maybe the most important one was still the decision to ban fossil fuels from the EIB lending in the future only from the end of 2021 on. And there was a massive battle among the European governments on that. Why? Uh, because some of them wanted to keep uh, fossil fuels being eligible for public funding. Why? Who won the battle then? And why did the EIB then uh, announce this very bold uh, thing? And it was during the COP25, if I'm not mistaken, in Madrid, right? I mean, the discussions were taking place for at least one year within the bank. And we were really, um, to be honest, positively surprised by the proposal from the EIB staff, which was indeed to stop completely lending to fossil fuels. Because I mean, these are demands we have for many years now, and we were taken for lunatics, you know, just by <laughs> imagining that a public yeah. bank could stop doing such things. But still, they came up with this proposal, and I think it's linked to the political climate as well, the, the mobilization of the young the young people in the streets, also the European ele elections where the climate issues were a bit more prominent. So they took, you know, uh, responsibilities and they came up with this proposal. You said something interesting. You said within the EIB uh, itself, there is a, 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 a sort of momentum and a, and a willingness of the, the staff, the, the, the brains basically of this institution to, to change really the course. I think it's really new, but you know, these announcements that the EIB will become the EU climate bank, with these different commitments that I tried to describe. Um, it's something new. The, the bank was already doing some, I mean, they were already supporting renewable energy. Yeah, they phased you out know. of coal, for example. They uh, phased uh, out of coal back in 2013. That was one of our first uh, successful campaigns back at the time. Um, but since then, there wasn't much progress. But now we have the Paris Agreement. We have, I mean, all the shocking climate events taking place all over the world. So there is much more awareness within the institution and they took their responsibility. They proposed something ambitious. And then of course there was a battle between the shareholders of the EIB, which are the EU governments, and some resisted. So that's why at the end of the day, the decision was to stop lending to fossil fuels only at the end of 2021. Right, okay, but that's which is still, soon. It's still the most advanced commitment of any public institution any public bank on these issues. So it's still welcome, not perfect, that's a fact as well. Okay, Let, let's just stick a little long with the good news because it's, yes. it's, it's, it's rather uh, rare in Brussels uh, areas. <laughs> um, one of the concrete things, for example, that I, I, I read in your brochure is, um, in, at least in the, the good uh, section of this brochure, that, for example, the EIB wants to be um, more um, uh, of a financer in the area of uh, renewable energy, but also re re uh, energy efficiency. For example, it wants to play a role um, with the um, initiative of the, uh, the European Initiative for Building Renovation, uh, which I guess is about energy saving and not uh, wasting energy, basically, which is the, the current practice now everywhere. And I was, I'm somehow, I mean, this initiative on, on, um, on building renovation still, still needs to be uh, uh, designed, I think, and implemented, but nevertheless, it's, it's an interesting announcement because my reflection was the, the image or the impression I had about the EIB is that it's really the kind of investment bank that loves, like many politicians do, 
uh, announcing these big projects, right? I mean, infrastructure projects are, per definition, big. And it's, uh, from a political perspective, always nice to announce a big project instead of just, uh, a, let's say, a decentralized uh, program to uh, renovate houses or to isolate houses because it's less visible. You cannot basically cut um, or open officially a, a, a big project on renovating houses. You see what I mean? It's yes. sort of the, the scale of things which make it less sexy in a, in a political uh, sense of the of the word. And, and so how... Do you really think that they will go for this and how will they do that? How will they manage this? I mean, the EIB over the last years already tried to do much more, especially in the energy efficiency field. The problem is that at the moment where they invested, for example, more for housing, for isolation, was more uh, in, let's say, Western European countries where there were already more, you know, governmental regional programs in place. I think a challenge is to make sure that these investments can also take place in poorer regions of Europe. In uh, Romania, Bulgaria, for In example. some countries in Central Eastern Europe. Indeed, these are, this is where it's more challenging. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's part of the, of the demands we, we, we had on the bank for years that these large infrastructure projects, like the ones where you cut the ribbon and there is a ceremony, you shake hands with the ministries, very often these projects, they have environmental impacts, harmful impacts. Socially, they don't always benefit to the local population. Um, there, are, there are risks with fraud and corruption linked to those. So we were always you know, asking the bank to try to go for the smaller projects that, as you say, maybe are less sexy, but that can really benefit families, households, you know, regions. And this is where the energy efficiency can really make a difference. And I really think there is potential for you know, citizens in Europe to really benefit from from these types of investments coming also from European level. Right. And that it is... cannot come only from European level. There will need to be <laughs> over sources of financing. Right. But the EU level can be one additional tool, definitely. Yeah. So basically the idea is also of all this that, for example, if the EIB would have a credit line for a renovation of houses and isolation of houses for energy efficiency, that it would be more attractive and it would be a leverage for also commercial lenders and governments to sort of team up and really start investing real cash into this uh, very urgent uh, process because we are wasting a lot of energy uh, which is interesting in a time where people start talking about uh, how do we produce enough right? yeah. in the food and agricultural sector it's the same thing basically that's that's the goal at the moment and what's really interesting with this new energy policy is that the priority is really in the energy sector for this type of projects and renewable energy as well. While in the past, you still had this whole narrative around, you know, security of supply. You need to import more gas from Azerbaijan, not Russia because it's EU, but, um, you know, over Algeria, these other countries outside of Europe where you had a lot of violations of human rights, for example, linked to the projects. Now the narrative has been changed. It's written in the, in the new policy of the bank that the best energy security is to reduce consumption, yeah. energy efficiency. And that's something which is not new for many of the, let's say, climate activists, but to have a public institution putting it, you know... It's positive. Black and white, that's positive. Okay, now a lot, enough positivism, we have to stay critical as well. <laughs> so we go to the, the section of the bad in your uh, recent brochure. And that is, of course, uh, as you write it, the two-year gas bonanza incoming, question mark. Uh, 
Um, I, I quote, um, according to the EIB, there are currently nine loans for 2 billion uh, euros already approved. These loans are awaiting loan signature and then disbursement. In addition, 18 projects are under appraisal for a total of 1.3 billion. The EIB has also been approached for 18 other projects worth 2.6 billion, for which the management committee must authorize the start of appraisal process. It's unlikely that all these projects are ultimately financed, but, however, it is emblematic of the threat these projects still pose. When I read mm. your brochure, and especially on the, the, the bad section, I got this impression of having, uh, does the EIB is suffering from a, uh, nevertheless of all the good stuff we just talked about, about a sort of locked-in syndrome. That's a medical term, uh, as, as you might know, for uh, somebody who knows uh, 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 perfectly what's going on, but your body basically can't move, you're paralyzed. Um, what, what, what is this whole gas yeah. bonanza about? I mean, the, the thing is that this ban on fossil fuels project, it will only enter into force at the end of 2021. So between now and then, governments, companies around Europe can still apply for lending. And they the are, EIB. according to the figures, they are. And they are. Of course, not all of these, of these projects will be financed, but there is a risk. So what we hope is that, and what we will push for, is for the bank, despite this loophole in its policy, for the next two years to still you know take the climate urgency into account and not go for them because they also risk becoming very um even in financial terms bad projects you know at some points all these high carbon intensive projects will not look good on the accounts of these banks and that's also a financial element that um, the bank is taking into account so we think the spirit of the policy is really the one that is forward looking ambitious. So I, I really hope that, um, you know, the spirit of the policy, which is to look into the future climate proof investments will remain the basis and that there won't be so many of these harmful projects being financed right. by the end of 2021. Right. So to finalize, uh, Xavier, um, you uh, already touched upon the importance of um, uh, accountability, transparency, uh, to in order to deliver to to the to the general public, which is basically the aim and the purpose of this EIB in the first place. Now, recently also you published a report: Is the EIB up to the task in tackling fraud and corruption? And um, when I read, I haven't read the whole report, but I have read the the most uh, essential uh, parts, and it's quite uh, um, frightening in a way um, because um, when it comes to um, uh, the question. Um, uh, is uh, are there enough mechanisms in place in the IB to um, to have uh, uh, um, uh, zero tolerance towards fraud and corruption? Our conclusion is unfortunately very clear. No. Um, could could you? I mean, without going, this is a very quite a technical issue. But um, could you could you explain how it's possible that whereas the member states are basically controlling the EIB? that you come to such tough conclusion and it's based on very concrete um, uh, research yes. cases. Huh? I read Volkswagen in Germany being one of them. So it's basically about projects to which the EIB had lent a lot of money, but they couldn't really assure the general yes. public that it's without corruption, that it's without fraud. Indeed, I mean, we, I think many politicians, many citizens, many people around Europe want more public financing to have projects that, you know, transform the economy, reduce inequalities. It, so it's positive that these public banks exist. But then you need to make sure that the public money is used 
by the right people in the right way, according to laws, uh, especially on, on fraud and corruption issues. And here we started basically um, from looking into several cases. Uh, we were contacted by, by citizen groups in different countries, alerting us about some projects financed by the bank, which were actually under investigation, serious corruption trials in their countries. That's the case, for example, in Italy. Based on that, we contacted the bank, asking them to take steps, you know, to stop disbursing money, <laughs> to, to, to fuel these, um, these corruption circles. Mm -hmm. And we realized that all the replies from the bank, you know, were defensive and that they were keeping, you know, uh, supporting the same companies involved over and over. So that was a starting point. And then we started looking into, okay, but then what are the procedures in place? Is there something going wrong? And that's the, what the war report is about. Actually, we show that indeed there are weaknesses in the internal procedures of the bank, which means that even when there are trials for corruption at national level on given projects on companies that are clients from DIB, the bank keeps disbursing. And one of our conclusions is that actually it's linked also to the, the political pressure on the bank to keep financing such projects. Right. So basically, is there a role for the European Parliament to uh, improve the, the regulations that basically govern, that, that help the, the IB uh, basically function better? I mean, we think that one element is really to strengthen the internal mechanisms. I mean, I don't think it's, a, it's in the interest of the bank to, you know, finance these types of projects. I don't think the staff of the bank wants it. So internal mechanisms, of course, it's important. Then it's about how you supervise. And here, of course, there is a role for the Parliament, but also for the anti-fraud office at European level, Olaf. Olaf, to play a stronger role. There is also this new public prosecutor that is being created. That is starting this year. Starting this year. We really hope that they will have the, the bank in their radar to make sure that, you know, this type of uh, loans don't exist in the future. I think it would be in everyone's interest. Right. So that's uh, for now all uh, that we have time for. But um, uh, everyone that's listening and would like to find out more, it's uh, counter-balance.org. All your reports that we talked about and much more is on there. I thank you so much, Xavier, for being with us and I'm sure we will meet again. Thank you.